listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree, or as a terebinth, terebinth tree, that's how it should be pronounced, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Who will go for us? The year that King Uzziah died, the Lord was sitting high upon his throne, Isaiah started out. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Of course, you have the seraphims that pretty much acted like escort. But one of these seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This reminds me of the book of Revelation, if you'll turn there. Revelation, the fourth chapter. This reminds me of what took place in heaven after the seven churches received instructions from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So when you see the door here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, now you go fast forward to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, a door standing open in heaven. So you can't say, well, it can't be the same door. Wait a minute. Scripture interprets Scripture. So since Scripture interprets Scripture, it is only giving us an accurate description of what Isaiah saw and what now John, the apostle of the Lamb, saw. So it is the same door. And behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now remember what we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Now let me point something out to you. When Isaiah wrote his book, it was in 740 B.C., before Christ. Don't, don't bother with that B.C.E. junk. They're all the time trying to take Christ out of this. What BCE means to them is before common era. So if you're gonna play if you're gonna play that, I'm gonna play with words. I'll say before Christ exalted. Just to throw your trash in the garbage and exalt the Lord our God at the same time. So here we see that the Lord is sitting on the throne in Revelation chapter. Four, which we, which is what Isaiah saw in Rev, in uh, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne. Now this is what Isaiah didn't write, but this is what John the apostle wrote about what he saw around the throne. In appearance like an emerald. Around the throne, excuse me, uh, 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 th and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So, so let's look up this word emerald and we will see that the word emerald, it just simply said consistent of emerald, but, 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 but what color? The emerald or green gem, so-called. A green gem was around the throne. Not the rainbow that God puts up in the sky as a covenant to the earth that he will not destroy man by water again. This emerald is in heaven. So there's a difference and a distinction between the rainbow that God puts in the sky, which is of seven colors, and then this rainbow of just one emerald. Very powerful stuff. So, verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting. We don't know who they are because we don't get a, a description. We're not going to go into speculation because that is very dangerous. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And just in case you know, want to know what the seven spirits of God are, all you have to do, if you're taking notes, is write down Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. And that will describe to you what the seven spirits are. Verse 6. Before the throne were... Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal, 
And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, who in ever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Here we see that there is a similar thing that took place in the book of Isaiah. If you go back to there in Isaiah 6 and verse 3, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this is the seraphim saying it. So when you see the 24 elders and the four living creatures, that's two separate entities saying, holy, holy, holy. Which is a common thing in heaven. That the only thing that you, will, you and I will be able, well, should, you know, really come to a conclusion about is that the first thing that is recognized about heaven is that God is holy. God is holy, uh, meaning uh, sacred, meaning set apart. God is set apart. Why? He is opposite or opposed to anything that is not holy. When we get to heaven, I suspect those who are in Christ, I suspect that when we see him, and I know they have this song out, I, 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 I can only imagine and, and all that. But I can only suspect that based on scripture that we will observe the holy God. And we can't and we won't be able to help but declare who he is. He is holy. A few years ago I was watching this video and they were singing 10,000, they were singing 10,000 reasons. But as they were playing, I, I noticed something that just wasn't correct. These, of course, were men singing 10,000 reasons and talking about that he's holy. But after they sung that song about 10,000 reasons, they looked at each other, these men, there was no women there, men, and kissed. And I said, how in the world can you put sin with holy? You can't do that. Sodomy is an abomination before God. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, it says clearly that man shall not put on anything that pertains to a woman and women will not put on anything that pertains to a man. It is an abomination. 
And so what we're faced with in these times is a group of people that want to have sin right up in the midst of the holy God. Can't be. It just can't be because it doesn't make sense. Would you wash something to make it clean but add dirt? No, you wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. Because anything that's clean doesn't want to be dirty again. Holy makes sense. Holy is perfect clean. I mean, that's the only way I, I can describe it. Holy is perfect clean. Perfect. No flaws. Without error. No dirt. In fact, go to 1 John chapter 4. Um, excuse me, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to get into the message, but just let me, just allow me to, to, to deal with this. In 1 John chapter 4, look at verse, one, verse uh, 3, starting there. That which we have seen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and, and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now how can darkness Commune with light. Just like sin can't commune with righteousness. The two can't be found together. The two won't be found together. Now just imagine God in all of his light. He doesn't even allow darkness to come even as a shadow. Even the shadow doesn't exist in the light of God. Even the shadow can't exist in the light of God. John goes on to say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if we say, yeah, I'm in Christ, but we practice sin, what does the scripture say? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when the blood of Jesus is applied by sprinkling upon our hearts, as Peter would say, that is how we can fellowship with the Father and with his Son and with one another. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know how we like to say, oh, I haven't sinned. Yes, you did. Don't lie. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I have no sin in me, you liar. Truth is not in you. You're deceiving yourself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God that God gives us the ability to cleanse ourselves. As it says in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 1, therefore, having these precious promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. Then you have Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 that tells us, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. Verse 10 here in 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Go over into 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I just want to, um, you know, tap into the holy part because, you know, it's very easy for me to just, you know, speed up to the, to the place where I want to go without, without dealing with, with this part because this is so important. This is, this is very important because this, this is what distinguishes us from the world. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from our sins and God taking us and adopting us, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, into the family of God because we have repented of sin and placed faith on Christ alone. First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Uh, this is a, uh, a, a quote from Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God is holy. How, how, how can he be anything else? Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He can't be anything else, and you can't make him be anything else. Then there's another quote from Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. So the, the first thing that we have to understand about the Lord, the first characteristic, um, the first attribute of God is that he's holy. For us to run past this, then we will treat God like an ordinary person. And that's when you begin to lose the fear of the Lord. Remember what it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So, if you think that you have knowledge and you lack fear, you got to go all the way back to the beginning where knowledge starts. Knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord. So, God is holy. It is clearly established. Go to the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and then he commanded Israel to consecrate themselves and be holy because God is holy. And see, this is, the pre this is the thing that we have to understand about our walk in Christ. And that is that when we repent of sin and place faith on Christ alone, we don't live lives like the world anymore. We're separate from the world. We don't try to do things to be accepted by the world because it is evident that if you're in Christ, you will never be accepted by the world. The world will reject you and have nothing to do with you. Second Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, we saw in 1 John that, that truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
and with one another, because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we have fellowship with him. But you can't have fellowship with unbelievers. In other words, sitting around and engaging in conversation that is unbecoming of an individual that's in Christ and washed by the blood of the Lamb. If anything, if anything, because of your testimony in Christ, they can't have that conversation with you. You turn the conversation towards Christ. And yes, it'll ruffle some feathers. You will be persecuted. But I'd rather be persecuted than to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Now, what is lawlessness? First John tells us in chapter 3, and you know that sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? None. And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, or worthless ones? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the Lord, of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate. The word separate simply means to set off by boundary. Set off by boundary. To mark off from others by boundaries. To limit, to separate. Come out from among them and set your boundaries. Come out from among them and mark off from others by boundaries. Today the world is demanding that the church surrender its boundaries. In fact, Hillary Clinton said this in in paraphrasing what she said that that people need to uh, get rid of their religious uh, habits or feelings. Nope. You're not God. You don't believe in God. You never knew God. So why should I give up Believing in God, believing in his word, walking in his word. Simply because you want me to. Nope. Can't do it. Won't do it. The word says come out from among them and be separate. Separate means to mark off from others by boundaries. And be separate, says the Lord. Look, I, I know that you probably don't want to upset folk. You probably don't want to ruffle feathers. But you can't find yourself in the midst of their conversations and sit there and say, uh-huh, 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 like a dummy. Their intent is to pull you away from God so that way you no longer are separate. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Be separate. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just want to stick with this a little longer, if you don't mind. And even if you do, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you anyway. 
Look at verse 33 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Evil company corrupts good habits. Well, if I leave them, if I leave them, what kind of friends am I going to have? You mean to tell me that the friends that you have are more important than being a friend of God? You see, you're not sitting by yourself. You just think that way. You got to remember that the Lord said in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some, some will say, well, it's good to, good to have friends every now and then. Yeah, I agree. But there's a friend that's closer than a brother. Well, I want somebody to be friendly with me. Well, not at the, at the expense of being an enemy of God. In fact, go to the book of James. James chapter 4. Look at verse Look at verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with, with the world, the word en enmity means a reason for opposition. A reason for opposition. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. They have a reason to be opposed to you. And that's because of the first attribute of God. He's holy. And then the admonition from Paul. Be separate. Be separate, says the Lord. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the, of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But it gives more grace. Therefore he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. See God will fill whatever mental loneliness you may have in your mind when you go back to his word and realize that God is with you all the time and you do not have to bow to the world to make friends with the world. You just don't have to. And you shouldn't. Why? Because of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. Evil company corrupts good habits or good manners. You see, you don't want the world to pull you down. You don't want the world to pull you into their mud. You don't need the dirt that you once escaped from back on you. It doesn't mean to hate them. It doesn't mean to despise them. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It means that you have standards. And that you can't tolerate what God never tolerated. Sin and iniquity, wickedness. He never tolerated it. So the first standard that Isaiah recognizes is that God is holy. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 4. And the posts of the doors, were, of the door rather, were, were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. Now if you go back into the book of Revelation, which we don't have time to do, into uh, Revelation uh, chapter 16, I think it is. I, I don't remember the chapter, so don't hold me to that. But it was a, at a time in which I believe the last trumpet was about to sound and there was a pause. And the temple was filled with smoke. The temple that was spoken of in the book of Revelation is also this same house. In chapter 6 and verse 4 of the book of Isaiah. So the whole house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of un, 
clean lips. You see, that's the first distinguishing factor. That's why you have to be careful about hearing stories about heaven. You know, you got a whole lot of people who have books out now. I've been to heaven. No, you haven't, you lying devil. You haven't been to heaven. Because if you really had been to heaven, first of all, John says that no man can see God and live. So what you doing around here? Because ultimately when you see heaven, you're going to see God. So, so here we see that Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne, robe filling the temple, angels carrying him about and covering him. And one of the angels crying, holy, 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 which is the top distinguishing attribute of God. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so the only thing that Isaiah can do is look at God and then look at himself. And he saw that he didn't measure up to the standard of God which is the first attribute, the highest attribute of God, and that is holy. And so automatically he knew that he was done. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He saw his uncleanliness in the presence of God. He saw his uncleanliness, his wickedness, his sin before God. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We should never make light of this. Because what we have done is that we have made the presence of God common. And when you make God's presence common, you will behave any kind of way. Like there was this one video of an individual said, I've been to heaven and I was walking with Jesus, she said. And we were walking around and hanging out like buddies. I said, really? And then she used an expletive. I said, wait a minute. If you've been with Jesus, do you honestly think, if you've been in his presence, do you honestly think that you're going to get away with saying an expletive, let alone be able to live to tell about it. The presence of God has become so common that it is no longer respected. We don't even consider the top attribute of God anymore. We have reduced his presence to just a mere feeling of emotion where Lord, I want to feel you, God. I want to feel you move, God. The moment that we entertain thoughts like that is a revelation of the fact that God is common to you. And he's not as respected by you as you think you are. Now, many of us will say, well, Isaiah should have died right there. And right, because of what it says in 1 John. John said that no man can see God and live. But here we see the Lord doing something on behalf of Isaiah that God will do for anyone within his will. Now, when it comes to what God does on his own, that's what he wants to do. He saw that Isaiah saw him, and he knew that Isaiah is supposed to die. But what did the Lord do on the behalf of Isaiah? He sent one of the seraphims. It says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which 
he had taken from the tongs, taken with the tongs from the altar. If you don't want, if you don't know what tongs are, it's just like when you're barbecuing and you're flipping your meat on the on the grill. It's like like tweezers, large tweezers. The only way I can describe it. He took those large tweezers and took a coal off the altar. And then what did he do? Verse seven. He touched my lip, my mouth with it, and said, "Behold, this has touched." Your lips. Why? Because first Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. So God acknowledged Isaiah's sin. But he did Isaiah a favor. He touched, he had the angel come with tongs, with the coal, touched his mouth with it, touched his lips. And his iniquity was taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, See, after, after the purging, after dealing with his sin, and see, that is so important when it comes to the actual call of God into the ministry. Our sin has to be dealt with. We can't serve him and be in sin. We can't serve him and still be an agent of the devil. We can't serve him and still be on the devil's side. I asked a question. What, what will happen to false preachers and false prophets that speak in his name? Well, first of all, you have to recognize that false preachers and false prophets are liars. They're like Balaam. They're liars. You can't trust a word that they say. Well, what's going to happen to them? Well, if they don't repent and place faith on Christ alone and don't ever lie again, proper lie ever again, they're going to hell. Second Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks of, of these things, of individuals that claim to have a call of God on their life, but they still are in sin or promote sin or do false things. Peter says that these people were, were set up for destruction. What destruction? Hell. Because they're not in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, they will say to me in that day, have we not prophesied in your name? Oh, Jesus, we prophesied. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Cast out devils in your name. The many wonders in your name. And Jesus said, I will, I will tell them, I never knew you. The word never means not at any time. I mean, it's a shame to, to claim that you've been in Christ and you were never known by the Lord not at any time. Who are they? They were pretenders. They were individuals that saw money, which was their real God, and went after it. Because the Bible tells us that, that Balaam was the same way. He loved the wages of, 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 of being a prophet. Because when you're a prophet, you get paid. In the Old Testament now. I'm not talking about the New Testament. Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you got paid if you were a seer, if you were a prophet. You were given money or gift or clothing or whatever it is just to give the word of the Lord. So they saw a prophet in all of that. P-R-O-F-I-T in being a prophet. And we have a lot of those today that claim that they have seen God and use it as a pretext for people to give them money. 
Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, evil men and imposters, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, when you speak for God, you're supposed to give people the truth. But when you're lying, sadly, people buy it. I, I, I just can't understand why people can't see it. And I, I, I get it. I, I realize something. You put two and two together. If I give money, God will bless me. If I give money to the man of God, he, God will bless me. God will do something for me if I take care of the man of God. And it's been abused. Abused so much that even Paul said the Lord in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said the Lord commanded that those that preach the gospel should live off of the gospel. But Paul continued and said, but I don't even want any of those things because I don't want the gospel to be blamed for anything. Because they were already blaming Paul. All you want from us is money. Paul says, no, nah, I don't want your money. I never had. Never, never will. The gospel is very lucrative. Even in these days of tough times. Because people want relief. And they've wrongly equated that if I give money, I'll get relief. Nothing could be further from the truth. You don't give money to get relief. That's, that's a misconception that has taken hold in the body of Christ and abused. And everybody jumped on the bandwagon and saw everybody was doing it and claimed, and claimed that if you give, that God will get you out of this mess. There was an individual who was promised healing, had breast cancer. And this preacher told her that if you just send $1,000, God will heal you. Well, ultimately, she sent $1,000, but God didn't heal her. She died a few months or a few years later of the cancer that she gave money because she wanted to be healed. You see, that's the shenanigans that go on. He didn't care one bit about that woman's cancer, let alone, let alone her poor financial condition. Didn't care one bit. That's the kind of shenanigans that we have in the body of Christ. They, they care nothing about you. So the Lord took away the iniquity of Isaiah. And then after the iniquity was dealt with. His unclean lips were cleansed. Purged. His sin was purged. Then he heard the voice of the Lord. Also I heard the voice of the Lord. Verse 8 saying. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now see, watch how the Lord did this because the, the way that it's, it's said here gives the appearance that there were others that he was talking to. And perhaps there was. All Isaiah saw was the Lord. He didn't see anybody else. But there could have been others that he didn't see. So the Lord still ended up by saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Who will go for us? And Isaiah volunteered. Of course Isaiah would volunteer. <laughs> After seeing God, and then you be and then your lips being cleansed and your sin is purged you can't help but just go ahead and go not to keep your sin purged not to keep your sin cleansed but because the lord had asked whom 
shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. Now when you see, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing and do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. You can, you can hear exactly what Jesus was saying to the Sanhedrin because they had dull hearing. They had heavy ears and they shut their eyes. In fact, go to the book of Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 6. Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. Now I already pointed out a while ago that there's a they had the, the Jews in the Old Testament had the Talmud. But they also had the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the law of Moses which probably at this, up until this time did contain the books of history, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. But it also had some of the prophets. So they had the Talmud and the, and the Torah. The Torah was the commandments of God in the Old Testament, but the Talmud was tradition. In other words, sayings that usurped the commandments of God in the Torah. So Jesus said, Thus you have made the commandment of God of, of no effect by your tradition. In other words, the commandment of God was not effective. Why? Because they made their tradition effective. So Jesus called them hypocrites. Look at verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They traded the conditions, uh, rather the, uh, the commandments, with their traditions. And that's what you have with a lot of people that claim to be called by God. But here we, we're going to see another scripture in Isaiah, excuse me, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, if you'll go there. Matthew chapter 13, which is where I should have, should have went uh, initially. Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and not understand. So we see what's happening here in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. Keep on hearing and do not understand. Keep on seeing and do not perceive. So this is the prophecy that Jesus was speaking of. Hearing you will hear and not and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. The whole purpose of preaching is so that way you can understand, so that way you can see, so that way you can hear. But when the people's hearts are dull and their ears are heavy and they shut their eyes, then they won't be able to perceive truth. And that's the same atmosphere that we're living in today. For instance, when you, when you tell them that, that God made them male and female, they say, oh no, that's religion. We don't believe in God. All right. That, that's, what you wanna, that's what you wanna say, fine. 
Alright, so you don't want to accept Christ, you don't want to accept God's word about male and female, you don't want to do that. Alright, so let's go this way then. All men have XY. All female have XX. And then you tell them, excuse me, the other way around, then they tell us, like during COVID, trust the science. Believe in science. Oh, okay. XX, XY, that's science. A man can't be a woman, and a woman can't be a man. And so they become dull in hearing. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear what we want to hear. And so they're dull in hearing. But just because they are dull in hearing doesn't mean that we don't tell them. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will be these individuals that will speak to a people that is dull in their hearts? heavy in their ears. They shut their eyes. Who, who will go for us to speak to this kind of people? Who will, who will tell them the truth? Irrespective of whether or not they'll accept it or not. You see, you just can't write off sinners just because you know that they are dull in their hearts, don't want to hear with their ears, and don't want to see with their eyes. You still have to tell them. And there's a reason why. Because God is establishing evidence. Because there will be a day in which they will stand before the judgment seat of God. The great white throne judgment. And tell God, nobody told me. Nobody said that to me. And God will show in the books, you were told on this day by this person. It'll, it'll be just like the first 48. The police pull out all this evidence. And you're going to deny it? Of course they'll deny it. But because they deny it doesn't mean that they get off. Remember, the books were open in the book of Revelation chapter 20. The books were open and the book of life. And whoever's name was not found in, written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Because there will be people that will say, my name is in that book. My name is in that book. My name is in that book. See, you may have all this, all this stuff about me and I can't get around there. But my name is in that book. And God's going to say, oh, really? And open up that book and say, nah, you're not in the book. And then cast you into the lake of fire. He will show in that book the many times that somebody tried to put a track in your hand. Or when you walked by that street preacher and mocked them. Or you ridiculed your friend while they were witnessing to you. I'll never forget it, the, the day that I was first witnessed to. I was a young teenager. I was in Zion Baptist Church in Washington Avenue at Drum and Bugle Corps. And so we were putting the instruments away, putting the chairs back. And there was, there was these two twins, uh, one twin, one set of twins, Denise and Debbie. Now, I'll never forget their name. And as I was walking by them, they, they, they attempted to pass to me a trick, a tick track. I took it, but I never read it. But it was probably one of, of Chick Track's first tracks that came out that said, this is your life. And when I look back at that, I, I, I can just thank God that somebody had the courage to go for him to tell me about salvation. Who will go for us even in these troubled times? Who 
shall I send and who will go for us? Even when you're going to be ridiculed, who will go for him because he sent his son for you? Who will go? We have to tell them because if we don't, if we don't tell them, who will? You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Thank you.